Hello, this is Face Boy, host and producer of Art Star Scene Radio on Radio Free Brooklyn. You can hear my show every Saturday at 7 p.m. This week, I'm not going to say anything dirty, not one bad word, not even fuck, pick, mother, none of that, none. Art Star Scene Radio every Saturday at 7 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. The most punk rock thing you can do is bring your own shopping bag to the supermarket and then tell the cashier you brought your own bag. That is punk rock. You've been listening to the Peculiar Utterance of the Day by Tom X. Chow. Peculiar Utterance of the Day. Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. And this is a special edition of the Truth to Power Show on the potluck dinner slot. And with us today is uh, Michael Connell, a poet, yogi, and carpenter. Welcome, Michael. Hey, VJ. Good to be here. Great, great. It's so great to have you. And uh, your the first song that you guys heard uh, was a selection by you. Um, was there a selection? There, there is a mountain by Donovan. Yeah. Very nice song. Very beautiful. Very nice. You know, I think it speaks to the kind of, um, what we'll be getting into is the Buddhist traditions and the influence on poetry and, and the idea of, um, you know, being a mountain and being no mountain is very, uh, apropos of that philosophy, I think, you know? Mm. Yeah. Kind of the, the, the duality or the non-duality or I don't know, something about that, you know? Yeah. You know, it's like, Okay, here's the mountain, and then we practice Zen meditation. Yeah, and then there is no mountain. Yeah, but then it comes, there's the mountain again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we reemerge off the cushion. Yeah, um, so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't think uh, it's definitely been an influence on your philosophy. Why don't we go a little bit into your life journey and tell us a little bit about kind of the where you were born and where you grew up, and then we'll try track through a little bit of your life. Yeah, sure. Um. I've, I'm born on Staten Island. I've been living there most of my life, all my life. 
you know, except for a short stint that I did in Binghamton when I went to college. Mm -hmm. There I majored in philosophy, and that was the birth of my interest in East Asian spirituality and philosophy that eventually led me to a Buddhist meditation practice and kind of immersing myself more in in Buddhist thought and practice. Yeah, and also you, you started doing, when did you start doing the poetry tradition or the poetry spoken word? You started doing, yeah. when did that kind of emerge in your journey? Um, Pretty much during my last couple of years at university, um, kind of got into a relationship with this bohemian chick. <laughs> and uh, up until that point, I didn't really have much of a, expressive bone in my body but that kind of that time was a time of like you know tapping into oh what are these feelings that I have in my chest or in my body what are these feelings how can I express them and poetry was really inaccessible uh, accessible for me you know I never played an instrument and uh, I never picked up a paintbrush, but I knew how to write and I knew how to talk. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had similar journeys. I uh, I also was grew up in Staten Island and yeah. found my way into Buddhism and poetry. So it's really great to have this conversation and talk about kind of how the impact it had in your writing and your practice. Also, your um, carpentry practice, you know, how mindfulness and how being in the moment, being still in the moment can help. And, and, and uh, artisans, artisans are people who are very much grounded in the moment. Let's take a moment. Can you quickly? It's a little ambient noise. So I want to quickly close the door. But yeah, good, good. So yeah, so why don't we talk a little bit about how um, your work as a carpenter has, in, when did you start that or when did you start uh, getting involved with uh, woodwork? Yeah, so my uncles all were tile masons. So right in high school, I started working with them and picked up some good work ethic and how to use some tools. But I never really enjoyed uh, tile and, and masonry. And, and then I was looking for some kind of form of expression. And, and I came to wood and furniture and, and making like little boxes and things like that. Mm. And uh, I kind of fell in love. And from there, I, I've been honing my craft as a woodworker, as a furniture maker. And um, it really does tie closely into the practice. Sometimes when I'm at my workbench, it's it's kind of like getting ready for a, a deep meditation session. And uh, even now, you know, doing it for a few years, I still notice how I rush around and I kind of like lose my cool a little bit and... Yeah. Uh, oh wow! I could have really slowed down there, and maybe I wouldn't have splintered the wood. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you know. So uh, it's a practice. Yeah, for that, sure. that appearing disappearing mountain seems to come around a lot. You know, an emotion, emotional landscape, and all these things that there it comes and it goes, and just mm-hmm. that uh, submersion of those emotions and and the reappearance of them seems to be very much a theme. Um, so yeah, yeah. So why don't we hear one of your works? Why don't we go off right at the back? We can just hear one of your works and we can have the conversation about that. And then we can kind of play it into the weave it in so we can hear a little, get a little taste of your voice. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so this, so this one is actually, uh, something I wrote more recently and it really kind of plays into your poetry book, Escape uh, from Samsara. This is like my version of Escape from Samsara. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I call it a deep disquiet. My eyes scan the dozens of titles of Eastern sutras. Words like emptiness, enlightenment, realization, and yet more obscure Sanskrit words along with their prof- along with the profuse names of swamis pop from their spines while motifs of lotuses and cross-legged figures garnish the covers. In one of these books, there must be the answer I long for, in a language just for me. There must be someone who knows about this deep disquiet in the canyon of my heart, 
who has crossed the shore of Duca and can mouth the way to my western ears. Yet nothing moves me. I deem this depression one of a kind, of which only I have the remedy for, beyond translation, before antiquity, on a scroll of wisdom tucked away in the origins of my personal samsara. Somewhere within my experience there must be absolution. I listen to the primordial sounds humming in the spaces between my thoughts. They quell the pangs of desire for a few brief fleeting moments, but my flesh still trembles from all the past impressions it holds. I look deeper. I watch in cool detachment as the images give rise to the feelings that give rise to the physical sensations around my bones. Up until now, I hadn't lived long enough for the tide to recede, to walk along barnacle-covered shells and relinquish all ambition so I can ask properly, what is worth desiring for? And in that moment, at the pivot of the tide, The sun breaks through the clouds, tickles the water, forms the words to seek no more. And I think to myself, but I like seeking. (laughs) I don't think I'll give it up just yet. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. Very nice, very nice. And I think this actually kind of comments on, a lot of times people uh, talk to me about Buddhism that maybe don't have grounding in it, say like, oh, you know, Buddhism is about cutting off of all desires, and they tell me that, right? Mm. And I think, in my view and my understanding, it's about cultivating the right desires. Mm. And I think that really marks, uh, you really zone in on that with the what's worth desiring for and the idea of striving, yeah. still this idea of striving and yearning and cultivating and, um, you know, having a garden that we can really draw from, you know? Sure. Yeah. So um, about work and such, we could talk about that a little bit you know, how the the practice is something that both inner and outer, you know, it mm. kind of disciplines us, the discipline and how your, your experience of that, what's your experience of that? A little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what is worth desiring for? And, um, and that's kind of the question that I ask, you know, especially in this practice where it's like, can, you know, be very um, about, what can I renounce? Mm. How how much can I renounce until, you know, I'm down to nothing? Mm. And um, so I ask what's worth desiring for, you know, uh, just turned 30 this year and, and I'm trying to build uh, my, my furniture making business. And there's definitely a sense, I definitely have a sense of purpose to, you know, be this individual that I might be meant for, meant to be in the world. And, um, you know, one teaching I like is like not to just start off by giving up all desires, but just start to scale down Mm. the desires a little bit and get to like the core of, um, what is it that the heart really yearns for in this incarnation? Yeah. It seems like, um, we think about the elimination, elimination of fear, elimination of, of, uh, anger, elimination of hatred those negations a lot, mm. but what's the affirmation you seem to be ex- expressing that? What are we affirming? What are we yearning for? What do we, um, you know, the absence of these negative emotions is one thing, but it has to be out of that vacuum. We have to pull out the positive. We have to pull out the, the, our duties, our, our responsibilities are, mm-hmm. and seeing them as being true and real. And, you know, one of the other conversations I had uh, a while back, people can look it up on our archives. Uh, to, uh, slash to prove the power. The path of the hero is about, um, you know, like, what's our duty in this world? What's our, what's, what are we here for? You know, that seems to be a big pressing question that maybe you can, uh, take your take on. Yeah. Give your take yeah. On. Well, you know, I always go back to this debate. I had a, a meditation teacher of mine. And at the time I was in a relationship with somebody and they're like, Oh, well, you know, do you plan on, on, on being a monk? Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't really think so. Yeah. <laughs> Not in this lifetime. And they're yeah. like, oh, well, this person would make a very good wife. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and, and, and I'm like, well, 
that's kind of like the householder path, mm. you know, to be of the world and contribute to the world and hold down your house and, and, and take care of the people around you. And, um, you know, and contribute and serve and, and carry out your karma. <clears throat> yeah. So that's, that's what, what, did, what do you find is your path then? Do you, have you carved out a path? Are you still, uh, right. still, still emerging? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I spent a lot of time in my early 20s kind of, you know, and that's another place where this poem comes like from seeking yeah. and then doing a bit of traveling taking some intensive meditation retreats and just kind of like reprogramming my brain, mm. you know, growing up uh, in a suburban household, going to Catholic church every Sunday to kind of like waking up to some different ways to see the world and view myself. And, uh, and I spent a lot of time in my twenties doing yoga and now like this woodworking thing and this carpentry has really like taken me by the shirt collar uh -huh. and said like, come on, you know, we got some work to do. Good, good. And I feel really invested in, in kind of, uh, just contributing as a builder and a designer and, and bringing my Eastern influence and my spirituality into my work and, and also, you know, sharing with others, you know, kind of like I have so many one to one relationships with my clients. And, you know, we work together to kind of like build the thing that, um, for, for someone's house, someone's business, someone's land. Mm. And, uh, my favorite kind of work is to work outside, kind of like in the country, build some like rust, rustic, like build a deck, mm. build a pergola, be outside, be, you know, a little bit away from the city, ideally. But mm, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of like dream work for me. Yeah. Just a quick aside, I'll just say that, uh, for listeners, you know, you've been, Involved with the Hanuman Lounge. You started the Hanuman yeah. Lounge on Staten Island. So people can look that up and find out more about that online. Um, tell us a little bit about the journey to, uh, in the creation of Hanuman Lounge. Maybe uh, that might be a good thing to talk a little bit about and kind of how, how that, how that evolved. Yeah. So the Hanuman Lounge is a healing arts center on Staten Island. It sits above the Everything Goes Book Cafe. And um, we started doing yoga and meditation classes there by donation for the community, uh, just kind of to make yoga and meditation accessible <clears throat> on Staten Island. Mm. And after about a year, we, we closed for another for a year and then we reopened last year. And um, and now we're doing all kinds of stuff. We're doing yoga and meditation, but we're also doing poetry open mics. We have a resident artist who got a grant from Staten Island Arts who's working on a collection of paintings. So the space has become more eclectic, but it's just a great meeting ground for people who want, who are involved in the arts, who want to like get involved with a yoga practice. Mm -hmm. They want to know what it's like to, to sit and meditate and be in Sangha, be in community. Um, so we try and keep our, everything, um, sliding scale. By donation and it's a great place a lot of people are doing healing arts work now so it's a great place if someone doesn't have a space mm. to bring their client or bring their class they can come and use hanuman lounge yeah and we were talking a little bit about kind of the idea of meaning and finding meaning in the the two cliffs so to speak of uh nihilism and uh internalism so why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of your understanding of those two terms and and we can get into a little bit about that, about how sure, uh, sure. Yeah, how, how that uh, came up for you, how it comes up for you. Yeah, so nihilism being, you know, maybe the valley yeah. of meaninglessness, nothing has meaning, um, everything's void of meaning, and then eternalism being the flip side of that, everything is meaningful. Mm. You know, uh, everything is synchronicity or you know a guiding hand or the cosmic order and sometimes that could be very um mis misleading as well mm. you know when we start like finding meaning in in things that might not inherently hold any meaning 
um, because then it's like we're, we're kind of always looking outside of ourselves for the guiding hand, or we're always looking outside of ourselves to receive our, our message. Um, and I think the point of, of practice of meditation is to kind of like look within and, and see what is arising in the moment mm. and decipher for ourselves, like what, you know, where do we find meaning? What, what sounds like a gong in our heart and what sounds flat or discordant, you know? Yeah. I was revealing, I, I, um, before we were talking a little bit about the book, Dave Lynch's Catching the Big Fish and how these ideas are out there, are existing out there, big ideas, small ideas and how, we're, we're immersed in these, um, this ocean of meaning, but we have to find the right connection. I don't know, like just something about like finding that right path, the middle ground between, you know, giving too much meaning to things, but also finding no meaning in things and kind of how it reveals in our, in, inside our inner self or inner continuum. I don't know. How do you, how would you phrase that? Or how would you put that? Like, and I was like, what is the, when we find meaning in things, what, what what would you say it is? It's like a revelation of ourselves or is it something outside or what would it mm. be? Like when there is something meaningful, like what is the, yeah, yeah. what is the, yeah. You understand? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's it like when we connect with something that's meaningful to mm. us? Um, yeah. And I think there's just an alignment there. Mm. Um, just an alignment with, uh, you know, we kind of, like I said, you know, choosing the path that we're kind of, sculpting for ourselves and then along the way things pop up that are doors or opportunities to kind of cultivate the path that we're on and i don't think and i'm not saying they're they're not coincidental Mm. you know i do believe in synchronicity and when we're really like in tune and in touch with source Exactly, exactly that these synchronicities do become more frequent or there's more flow like law of attraction. Um, but in the same sense, sometimes when, especially like when we, you know, when I know when I tend to get depressed or I'm having a tough time, you know, the littlest thing could be like, Oh, here's a sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, This is it. And, and, uh, and it kind of alleviates me in that moment. Cause I feel like there's something larger. Mm um that has the answers and and I can cling to that but meanwhile that might not exist. <laughs> uh, I find I find even like in interpersonal relationships sometimes we fall into the trap of reading too much subtext and we think that this means that and that we no trust is a lack of trust I think and, and a fear that we can't you know just a fear and lack of trust is what leads to that adding more meaning to things than perhaps there is you know so mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you experience that uh, as that, or what do you experience that when we read too much into things, or we think too much about things? It almost coming from like the fearful or or um, anger place, or or, or um, kind of. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you know? Yeah. Like, there's something I think we all, you know, we we can find comfort in mm. that there is a greater order to things that maybe we can't see so that maybe my suffering isn't in vain. Oh yeah. You know, maybe that this is all for some, some greater goal or that I can't see Mm. down the line. And, um, that's an easy way to perpetuate suffering as well, because you're justifying it in that, in that sense that, oh, well, it's part of this storyline that I haven't read through yet. Mm. And um, so therefore, you know, it's justified. Mm. Yeah. One of the, the quote I started, since we brought up escape from samsara, the quote I started the book with was about a Dojin quote about um, it's it basically goes like, you know, if we can't find the truth within ourselves, where else do you expect to find it? You know? So mm. it's like, if we can't find it, you know, it's, it's, we always externalize, externalize. We think that, Things have an inherent meaning that things are objectively meaningful, but actually we're kind of giving meaning to it, would you say? Or we're kind of, we're kind of, our mind or our, our participating, co-creating that meaning. So we're kind of like, uh, um, like the mind or, or the mind's function is to give meaning to things. And sometimes it can go a little crazy, it can go a little overdrive mm. and sometimes it can go underdrive, but we have to be able to work our machine properly. So we're giving meaning appropriately in a way that, um, advances the 
the proverbial car machine forward, you know? Yeah, I like I like that analogy. Actually. Yeah, good, good. Why don't we listen to another one of your poems? Uh, why don't you select another work and we'll kind of jump around from there. Um, all right, this one actually might play pretty good into our conversation here. Yeah, good. <clears throat> and by the way, that's why I love. Uh, I've been leaning a lot more towards the Zen Buddha- Buddhism lately. Because they tend not, like a good Zen teacher will never give any answers to anything. <laughs> yeah. They'll just throw some sort of like cone at you. Yeah. And, and this like paradoxical phrase and it'll just make you stop in your tracks and be like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I see. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I really think, you know, I, I really enjoy that. Um, all right. So this one is one of my first, one of my, uh, First spoken word pieces, it's called Light Years. On clear, cloudless nights, I like to find big, empty spaces. Find fields as big as oceans as I lay in their middle. I watch the wind orchestrate a ballet with runaway leaves, and I breathe easy. My body sinks into grass blades and dandelions, bugs I don't even know or can see, travel the unknown, my body is to be. I stare straight up into space. Transcending my sight past our atmosphere, I can see higher than the plains. When I stare straight up into a clear night sky, I see kaleidoscopes of infinity signs. There is no end. There is no distinction of space between stars. I'm fitting light years between inches. Every bit of space between me and the moon contains the same elements that constructed the pathways for my bloodstreams. I cry out from under my eyes, star stuff. See, consciousness is a form of communication our technology can't yet comprehend. There's no logic or thought to solve its mystery. No quadratic equation, no theory of relativity, no modus tollens, no scientific method for its madness. To be conscious is to recognize the mystery that keeps us all noble. It's a feeling of oneness. It's the instinct of the synchness of body and mind. I question my origin. I reason my existence. I breathe to know I'm alive as well as to live. A lot of people will tell you that you can find answers inside the stars, that if you stare long enough, mysteries will start to unravel like paper rolls and the gods will show their faces. Nothing this supernatural is in the stars. Better than this. The supernatural is in the act of staring up at the stars where a mysticism wears onto my body like pungent perfume, stilling my neck from moving while my eyes fixate on the myriad of twinkles above. On these nights when I lay in the middle of an ocean of grass, my vision elevates past treetops and roofs. Only a panorama shot of infinity from my humble perspective is in view. My coordinates become unknown. My identity expands. My body's boundaries dissolve. I start seeing millions of stars beyond my focus. Millions, perhaps billions of tiny dots like sheets of dust that can be found in the waterfalls of sunshine from our windows. For this brief instance, I'm nothing I ever believed to be and everything I ever was. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So I wrote down a few notes uh, as you were reading, thinking about, um, you know, the, the, we think about ourselves as limited and, and, and being in this body and being very limited and, and very restricted, but being able to get that lens into the cosmic, into the, into limitless, into the, the vast, uh, expanses, you know, in our experiences that we have a connection to that, um, and through that investigation, that, that kind of what we call the scientific investigation or, or, or spiritual investigation or some kind of structured investigation, we're able to, you know, see how the laws, you know, the laws of nature, the laws of, um, you know, the universe are, that's my, my reading of it, at least. I want to see if that, 
as mm. part of your influences, like the laws, nature of the laws of, of um, the universe are like, you know, there's no real exceptions to them. I heard you, you kind of getting into the questioning of the supernatural, the question of the, of the um, exceptions to the rule and such. But yeah. yeah. What do you think? What do you think about that? What do you think? What do you think of the, um, yeah, I and I think this goes back a little bit to what we were talking about before. Like, you know, I try and paint this image in this poem of like someone like because because when I wrote this, I was doing a lot of stargazing. Mm. I don't know what it was that part of my life, just riding my bike out to the park, laying out, looking up and uh kind of like trying to connect to something bigger, like that grander self. And, um, and then the, the realization was that it was the fact that there was someone looking out to connect rather than what I was going to find out there. Um, the fact that it, it, it was kind of within, right? Mm. You know, what we're seeing out there is really a reflection of what's in here, you know, so mm-hmm. without is so yes. within, yeah. So, uh, but also redefining what we mean by ourselves, you know, like when we think about myself and ourselves, mm. you know, I think of myself as VJ or Nathan or VJ Ram and Nathan, and it's impermeable, always changing. And, you know, people tend to label you as being this or that. And we work within identities and we work within a social structure. And these are all the conventional understanding of, you know, who I am, who you are, who our relationship is, all this kind of thing. But then, you know, Realizing that's the mountain that's maybe appearing, disappearing, you know, mm. like it comes and it goes and it's always changing. What, what do you think about the self? You, you've been a lot of, we were talking about self and not self and how, uh, that was the, the major or supposedly allegedly the major division between Buddhism and, and Hinduism or Vedantic philosophies. But I, uh, maybe it's, I don't know. That's what I hear always. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I remember walking into my first Buddhist philosophy class and, uh, <laughs> on the board was like no self. Yeah. And I was like, no self. <laughs> what, is yeah. what is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> of course, here I am, yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, then I really started chewing on that through, you know, and, and that's where, you know, actually sitting down and meditating and looking at these things under the lens, the microscopic lens of the meditative um, awareness that the self starts to really not be there. Mm. Um, you know, what is it that I can put a finger on that's me mm. that isn't changing or that isn't dependent on so many other, you know, facets. Um, and then, yeah. And then also like trying to establish an ego in the world, mm. you know, okay, I am a carpenter and, you know, I'm, I'm Michael and this is my, my storyline. Um, but yet, isn't that such a key ingredient to being a whole person, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, being of the world? You know, I, I hear this come up a lot. Oh yeah. He's, he's on the world, but not of the world. <laughs> yeah. That's good. And, uh, but yeah, I they think say like the lotus emerges out of the swamp, but is beautiful and, 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 quote unquote, you know, just it emerges out of this dreary, muddy area and then it emerges out of that to, to rise above, so to speak, or so putting that dichotomy there. But mm. I don't know, this is the way of speaking, the way of language. But yeah. Mm. But uh, there was something else uh, I was thinking uh, about, um, about that, about, oh yeah, about karma and about, we were talking a little bit, and we kind of got a little bit into this, but we'll get into this now. Um, you know, this, in my opinion, there seems to be a lot of confusion about karma as well, because it seems to have mixed a lot with, you know, when, when, when Eastern traditions, you know, all these things come to the West, you, know, you end up having a lot of this, uh, fandango of like, you know, this meeting ground between the, the Western, uh, canon and the Eastern canon. And people seem to think that karma is about rewards and punishments, but we understand that, you know, imprints are the foundation for karmic realities or karma. So we're talking a little bit about, um, if you talk a little bit about what your understanding of, um, uh, sanskar, sanskara, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a term that, uh, we came up a little bit and, uh, the imprints, how the imprints, uh, our mental imprints are able to, what's your understanding of that or what's your, right. So one of, uh, one of my meditation teachers, uh, S. N. Guanka, 
who, who does the Vipassana meditation centers all over now. Um, I love his way of explaining sanskaras as, you know, we can draw a line in the sand mm -hmm. and the water can come and wipe that line away, no problem. That's like a light imprint, like a light reactive pattern. And then we can like carve a line in a stone and that's going to take a lot of waves over a long period of time to wipe that line away. And there's these varying degrees of imprints that kind of like, you know, we have all, all of us have different things we react to in different ways. And those are kind of like our sanskaras, um, our habits, our deep embedded habits of reaction to certain phenomena, certain sensation. And that's why like with some, uh, some Sara, the cyclic existence mm. and, um, you know, that's why we're confronted with the same scenario over and over again that we confront, like, and it's like, Oh, these patterns, these cycles that we're in. And, um, so sitting and kind of like, instead of throwing logs or carving that line deeper, when we meditate, we look to kind of not react and kind of like let the line wash away and not not feed it. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I understand that too. And in all our episodes, we talk about sitting with those emotions, those recurring emotions, and allowing them to speak, allowing them to uh, understand them, their their origins, their that where they are, and allowing them, and then muting them, perhaps muting the negative, uh, the negative patterns, and then allowing them to kind of. Um, you know, just as you're saying, wash away slowly, slowly, just mm. one little by little, just washing away them. So that then we have, we can, we can carve new, um, pathways in our mind. You know, uh, we can carve new pathways and we can kind of be a little bit more in, <laughs> in, um, I'm going to say control, but a little bit more kind of determining our own destiny. I don't know. Yeah. Like we can kind of be a little more in the driver's seat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, we, liberation, freedom, mm. not having these chains around our ankles, uh, these chains being our, our reactions and our habits and our patterns. Yeah. So what do you think about this goal? We, we uh, you know, this goal, this goal of enlightenment is kicked around a lot, you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes some people I encounter say, oh, you know, really the purpose of meditation is just to slowly become a better person. We, enlightenment's like a big word and a big concept and, and kind of putting it off mm. or, or downplaying that. Some people are very focused on enlightenment. They're like, enlightenment is the purpose. Enlightenment, 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 enlightenment. You know, uh, you know, all this kind of thing. I'm very focused on that. Mm. But how do you dismantle that? Or how do you, how do you mm. make that grounded in a, you know, real practice, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I've been on both sides of that coin. Yeah. When I first started practicing, that was me. I, I wanted a taste of this enlightenment. I was reading about these divine states of being. Um, and I'm like, Oh, wow. I want to experience. I want that. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I, yeah. there I am, like, like building more shackles for myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? This yeah. is what I want. Um, but that's the beauty of the practice, I think, is like as you really like, you know, get immersed in it, that uh, you just start to surrender to what is. And there's this harmony with like, you know, who who I am and what my life looks like and my desires. And those things kind of like come from separate ends and meet in the middle. And it's not about like being all happy and, and like triumphant. It's just kind of like being alive and aware and awake and, and being with the multitude of different experiences. Mm. Yeah. I think about it in terms of like uh, how in our society, sociologically or in our society, this, this Western capitalistic uh, commodifications machine that we've produced, you know, kind of like pr pumping out product, pumping out product. Oh, you want this, you're creating the manufacturing of desire you know, it's like, oh, what you really want is this. What you really need is this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, creating this narrative that, oh, you know, stage one is childhood. Stage two is, uh, you know, education. Stage three is career. Stage four is this and that. You know, like making it all planned out for you. It's all like figured out for you. And you don't have to reach that source. You know, you just have to just, you know, it's almost like a rehearsed play, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I mean, just think that that 
that narrative is getting tired for me. I don't know. What do you think about that? What do you think about the narrative of and how? What what is the purpose of retreat and going away and coming back? That yeah. that going away and coming back, uh, um, you know, vision quests or any of these kind of things like kind of things like right. that. Yeah, yeah I I yeah. think retreat is is so important to just kind of step away from the familiar step away from like you know whatever grind we're in you know we're all in our 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 uh our monday to friday our monday to sunday whatever it looks like and to step away and really connect to source Mm. and have like intentions and you know go into the woods or into more of a seclusion away from all the cars and all the billboards and all the 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 people and the fashion and kind of like tap into something that's more empty Mm. you know tap into some real different sounds even something Mm. different for your senses yeah and um and and see what type of ideation you come up with yeah, you know, yeah, um, connecting with the, the our truth, our personal truth, and our our humanity, our uh, our source, and as we were saying, and um, really being able to bring something back that you know not abandoning. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times people some some traditions or some uh, paths are just to you know go off to the woods and never come back. But we want to come back because we want to share uh, that compassion, yeah. being driven by compassion for the fellow humans who are suffering, the fellow humans who are still trapped in that. Uh, cycle and that, that our, our fellow man, that, that motivation to return seems to be compelling to make that really happen. You know, I don't know. What do you think about that? What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, man. I yeah. mean, this is like, uh, the Bodhisattva lore, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, the Bodhisattva can, the spiritual warrior can go and become enlightened and not reincarnate, mm-hmm. but then he leaves everyone. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, oh no, you know, so they vow, Bodhisattva vow to not become fully enlightened until they can help lend a hand and bring everyone, you know, mm. to the other shore. Yeah. And, um, you were talking a little bit about like, uh, Alan Watts and how maybe, uh, the spiritual entertainment, I think, the spiritual entertainment yeah. sees it as that. And it's interesting how, you know, we seem to get more and more, um, ground with people. When we connect with them in a kind of not as like, oh, these are the answers. These are, this is the meaning that I'm giving you the meaning. This is the ready packaged up, you know, answer for you, but rather, you know, kind of almost like a kind of entertainment. That's what I try to do. And I think through written word, through poetry, we're kind of accessing uh, a kind of play, a place of play. And what do you think the mm. place of play is and a role of play in uh, meditative practice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, play and, and being playful and creative and, and having a sense of humor, yeah. and, you know, and just, you know, causing yourself and, and, and the people around you to just smile and, and take things like tread lightly. Yeah. You know, sometimes I catch myself even, I get like, you know, I, I tend to lean more towards like, you know, being serious and, and dramatic sometimes in, in what I like to create. Yeah. And, and, you know, and sometimes, you know, there's a space for that. And, and, uh, but then the flip side of just like shenanigans <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And it's a good, it's a good balance to bring into the practice. You know, yeah. when, whenever I teach a yoga class, if I kind of crack a joke and the room laughs, like that's one of the highlights of the class. You know, is when everyone kind of cackles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely think that um, we access, you know, change, true change through joy. You know, relying on a happy mm-hmm. mind, relying on a joyful mind will help us to really enact change or, or enact that, or accelerate the process to be able to share it with others, share the joy, spread the joy, so that people will feel a bit more ready to buy into not necessarily doctor or anything, but just buy into their, themselves and and see that see the truth and. They'll be more ready to see, so ready to listen, ready to hear, mm. you know, more receptive. Yeah. Yeah. It's like smiling and it, that's like one that's universal. Yeah. Right? We think about, um, the connection with, uh, you know, how we all, you know, bleed, we all suffer, but we also have joy and we have the yeah. potential for joy, but then we all laugh. We all have this enjoyment and that really is the bliss and mixing that with meaning, you know, finding the, the joy and bliss and meaning, you know? Yeah. 
And and I noticed because I just more recently got into this uh, through a friend. Uh, but like you know, all these internet memes. Yeah, that are just like they're these little memes. like funny. Yeah. Like they're they're funny, and yet they kind of like extol some sort of wisdom. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like very relatable, and it touches home, and it's all like succinct. In this little meme form. Yeah, that's really great. I'm also a big fan. Uh, those people yeah. who know me will know that I, I love meme culture. Yeah. And I think there's some really amazing things that they're doing. Like, I know who exactly is doing it, but somebody out there is creating something and they're finally <laughs> sharing this joy, is spreading this joy. I mean, there's always there's always yeah. a dark side to it because like, sometimes they have spread misinformation and all this kind of thing. Mm. But we need to, uh, you know, be able to see where the line is between, you know, Getting it inside and getting and, and and um like the confirmation bias, so to speak, you know, like oh, is this just affirming what I think, or is this really giving me a new insight and I'm being able to weigh between the two, you know? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So um yeah, and also about interconnectedness. I think definitely that comments on the interconnectedness, the 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 internet and the the interdependence of things. So we have like uh, tell us a little bit about kind of your experience of like. Uh, community with Hanuman Lounge and, and all this kind of thing. We can just kind of get, get the audience up if you want to tune in later. So you tell us a little bit more about kind of how, how you're building community on Staten Island and, and how that, that interconnectedness perhaps is a big major, uh, you know, that, that you're talking about donation base, all this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, you know, the, the point at the lounge is to kind of, it's not, uh, structured in a way where it's, uh, it's a it's a business, mm. you know, it's more of like a meeting ground. Mm. And, you know, we're trying to go towards a non-for-profit right now. And the point is to get people who might be turned off by having to pay so much for yoga and meditation to just come and share in the practice. And a lot of these people are the people that we see that that's in our community at the open mics, you know, Staten Island has an unbelievable open mic scene. And, um, so there's a lot of artists, a lot of young people, and a lot of these people, you know, are living pretty frugally. So to, to have a chance to get together around, um, a practice, a spiritual practice or meditation practice, um, I think it's key, you know? Yeah. Why don't we hear one more poem as we start to, we have about 10 more minutes. So why don't we hear one more poem? Uh, you guys want to take a moment to select something or? Yeah. Um, okay. So this one kind of speaks a little bit to that silence and, 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 uh, it's called the space before words. <clears throat> Click, sip, jingle, hum. Cricket willow whips done. Anamanapia after Anamanapia. Om giving birth to Om. The space before words. The hand of reality we are unwilling to turn our cheek to. Bare naked of any humane meaning, empty of conventional agreement, though ultimately true. The space before words where we sense, we feel, we intuit, and thus we are awoken. See, God is more speakable without what's spoken, more boundless without being condensed into written tokens. The bear without the symbolic, the aha, no rational logic. Just the quiet and listen to the swimming mysticism. And soon enough, our words break the soundless abyss with pop symbolism born from our culture, directed by love star vultures, starry-eyed wanderers and conditioned soldiers, turning the world as it is into some more abstract version, some sort of dream, a cockeyed illusion, agreed upon with inches and squares, dollars and fare, too scared to stare at the emotions, twisting and turning, bouncing and bursting, deep beneath the mask of unconscious lies, way inside. Breathe, come alive. The space 
before words, the great void before creation, still creating, each minute on multiple minds percolating, considering mysteries, patterns of psychological tapestries, like where does a shooting star land, or what's the sound of a clap with one hand, or how could I survive on this windswept mountain, spinning around some fiery fountain? And back to the blankness where nothing means anything at all. Everything is of itself, shimmering with its essence, a unique facet of the universe interconnected. Before any signs of mind, beyond any idea of what's divine. See, the art of what we imagine is empty too. Nothing can last. All things decay and pass back into the nothingness before it was ever expressed. Bravo. Thank you. Bravo. That was really great. I really loved how, uh, just as we were saying, it integrates in that playfulness, the onomatopoeias, those, yeah. you know, the, the dichotomy or the clash between logos and word meaning and the absolutism and, and play <clears> and, <throat> and, and finding those, uh, pathways between, uh, you know, almost like, uh, you know, seeing, almost seeing that the order in our mind is, is, is natural to it, to, create you know yeah that we're constantly we're just meaning giving machines we're constantly just creating meaning and meaning yeah. makers yeah meaning makers yeah yeah that's good you're like a meme yeah that's great and um yeah i i definitely see that 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 heart pumping there you know that that those those themes and those ideas flowing through you in a very accessible and playful way so yeah, yeah. thank you thank you so uh, I wanted to quickly give a shout out, uh, a couple of shout outs to um, the Radio for Brooklyn community, which is uh, sponsoring the, the Truth to Power show. So Radio for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So to help support our mission, we invite you to make a one-time donation, a monthly pledge at radioforbrooklyn.org slash donate. Every cent helps us continue to stay on air. So please support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax deductible to the folks of the law. Again, this is radioforbrooklyn.org slash donate. You can also go to radioforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power to sponsor this particular show. Um, you know, to help alleviate costs, to help, uh, so show your support, show your, um, commitment to doing, helping the truth to power show continue on. We normally air on Mondays at 8 a.m. Uh, this is a special edition. It may be rebroadcast at some point on the Monday morning or Thursday morning slots because Monday morning is our usual airtime, but Thursdays we sometimes rebroadcast at 9 a.m. Uh, also, you can uh, uh, find out more about uh, our apps at readyforbrooklyn.org slash iPhone or slash Android. And, uh, you know, keep listening to Ready for Brooklyn. Keep listening to all the different uh, shows on there. Go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash newsletter to uh, get some RFP swag. Uh, to giveaways, special offers, and upcoming RFB events. Um, we have a few minutes, but I'm, I'm going to play a song. I just want to tell you the song, uh, The Distance. We were talking a little bit about uh, The Distance and how I was trying to figure out what the name of the song was. It's so funny how Google helps you, you know, just putting these random things and then suddenly it pops up. But Cakes the Distance, I really like the idea of, like, he's a race car driver who's, like, uh, you know, after the race is over, he's still stir- mm-hmm. striving, yearning for the cup, even though, like, the you know, uh, um, outwardly, the race is over. He's still driving, you know? It seems very resonant with uh, this conversation, your themes about how, you know, in in, uh, in some ways we're always striving and yearning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that that makes me think of uh, a great book by Jack Cornfield and just the title alone, uh, After the Ecstasy oh. Comes the Laundry. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. That's so true. Yeah. The work is to be done. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize this mountain coming and going will be such a prevalent theme in this, in this episode, sure, but sure. it's like there is no spoon kind of a thing. It's like that disappearance frees us up so much and then we're able to see then it returns and we realize, oh, we have conventionally, uh, 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 something to contribute, something to, you know, to give to this world and, and returning to schedules, returning to Saturn. We were talking a little bit about astrology yeah. and the, yeah. the, uh, the, um, of a present uh, structures we live in, structures within structures, yeah. Mm. So, uh, 
Uh, I, we have a few more minutes, but just tell us a little, briefly a little bit about your astrology, anything that's coming up for you uh, about astrology. Uh, what is that really? Uh, well, yeah, you mentioned Saturn and, you know, I was talking about it with a friend. Saturn is in Capricorn and until 20, December of 2020. So for the, and it's been there for about a year or so, but, uh, it's just a time of, of, of work and really putting in the work and, uh, you know, cultivating the land so those seeds will grow. And, uh, we put the work in now and, and, you know, we'll be able to really harvest, you know, later. Yeah. And I think of astrology really as being that, you know, a lot of people think about all, you know, the plants out there and all, all the influencing us, they're having a direction on us, but really it's that, that mindscape, like m- mental landscape of how the, you know, that the, um, uh, the tensions within the mental uh, the imagination within, I don't know, the structures that we live in and, it's a, it's from more subtle. It's, it's kind of a little bit weird to, to think of it in terms of actual planets. I don't know. I'm just externalizing it always. Mm. Thinking like Saturn out there, but Saturn in here, maybe. I don't know. I like that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, also, if, uh, tell us, uh, any, anything looking up people can refer to where can they find a little bit of your work or can they, can they work there? Where are you reading next or anything like that or anything coming yeah. up here as far as that? Yeah. Or do you want to just uh, promote Hanuman Lounge or, yeah. So, yeah, Hanuman Lounge, uh, you could find the happenings at the lounge on Instagram at Hanuman Lounge, Facebook at Hanuman Lounge. Uh, you could also check out some of my woodworking and furniture designs at sylvan.work or on Instagram, my Instagram at moon syrup and, um, at Sylvan Woodworks and you can kind of like see some of the stuff I'm making and, and working on. And thank you. Thank you. And people can look up uh ready for booking.org slash truth to power to find our um, archives. We've done about 60 or so episodes. So you can listen, you know, catch up over your uh, binge watch or binge listen to our Woo-hoo. episodes. Um, and also they can find about my books at vjarnathan.com. Uh, celebrity, uh, celebrity or how to meditate with a hammer and, uh, escape from samsara. So we'll be going out with the distance by cake. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks, VJ. The starting line. Engines pump, reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes. The flags go up. Churning and burning. They yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Burning fast on an empty tank Reckless and wild They pour through the turns Their prowess is potent And secretly stern As they speed through the finish The flags go down The fans get up And they get out of town The arena is empty Except for one man Still driving and striving As fast as he can The sun has gone down And the moon has come up And long ago Somebody left with the cup But he's driving and striving And hugging the turns And thinking of someone for whom He still burns He cannot define Bowel shaking earthquakes of doubt and remorse Assail him, impale him with monster truck force In his mind he's still driving, still making the grade She's hoping in time that her memories will fade Cause he's racing and pacing and potting the course He's fighting and fighting and riding on his horse The sun has gone down and the moon has come up And long ago somebody left with the cup But he's striving and driving and hugging the turns And thinking of someone for whom he's still